So this is Transforming Lives Physically and Spiritually. We're going to talk about the Community Health Evangelism Model. Um, we, uh, my name is Laura Smelter, and um, I work with Christian Health Service Corps, which is an organization that uses the Community Health Evangelism, or CHE, model, um, and we do some trainings on it. The trainings are usually four or five days, so in this hour, we're just going to get a sample and a taste of some tools that you can use on the field, but also, more important, the concepts and the principles behind them. Um, Francie Ogle was supposed to be here with me, but she was unable to come, so you just get me this morning. I apologize. Um, but I do have Jody Collins, who actually writes um, many of the CHE lessons and the curriculum and is uh, in charge of, if, for lack of a better term, children's CHE. So she will, we're going to stop around 8.45, so um, for, we have 15 minutes for questions and answers, so she'll be able to field some of the questions and answers, too. And I see Rebecca Walker in the back is, has been teaching CHE and doing CHE, facilitating CHE for a while. Um, anyone else in the room that's done CHE? Um, okay, great, thank you. So... Uh, let's make sure I got all the introductions. Oh, yes. So, Che has a booth. It's under Alliance for Transformational Ministry, ATM. They are booth 1901. And directly above them is the Christian Health Service Corps booth. That's the organization that I work with. And as I said, we do two Che trainings a year. Our first one is coming up in January. So, after this, come and visit both of our booths. So, Like I said, we want to discuss principles and concepts that foster transformational development, and some of those principles and concepts are participatory learning and action and asset-based community development. So we're going to look into those items today, and we're going to start with a story, and Jerry has very willingly agreed to help us with our story. So this is our mountain village community up here. Um, So you can come on up. So there once was a village located on top of a steep mountain. On a regular basis, as people were coming down the mountain, they would slip off the trail and fall to the valley below. A number of people were injured, and some were even killed. So actually, it's the one to the left of that, yeah. So we have people falling off the mountain. (laughs) That's fine. Either way, wherever you want. Okay. So people fall off the mountain. Some of them are injured and even killed. So a short-term team came to their village, mm -hmm, saw this problem, and wanted to do something about it. They thought about what they could do, and they decided that the best thing would be to station an ambulance at the bottom of the mountain. Therefore, when a person fell, a driver could rush with the ambulance to pick him up and bring him to the closest hospital 10 kilometers away. The people in the village were excited about this idea. The short-term team went home and raised the funds for the ambulance. The people at home were excited that they could get involved and help. One day, the ambulance broke down. But the people ignored the problem until another person fell off the trail and needed the ambulance to be taken to the hospital, but there was no transport available. They then became very concerned and went looking for the short-term team that had put the ambulance there. They complained that the team's ambulance was broken down and wanted to know why the team didn't keep the vehicle in good repair. The team raised more money and fixed it for them. However, the same problem happened several more times, again with the people coming to the team wanting them to sort out the problem. So the short-term team finally decided that there were too many repairs required on the vehicle and they could not keep raising more money to fix it. They told the people that it was their problem. 
The team had tried but could no longer help. The people felt sad about this but did nothing. They were now back to the place where they had begun. A representative from the church came, the guy with the cowboy hat, (laughs) um, and saw the problem and wanted to help. So the church diocese decided that what was really needed was a clinic at the foot of the mountain. So if someone fell, they could get immediate medical care. The diocese built a clinic, provided equipment, staff, and drugs. The people were very happy that those who fell could now get immediate attention and not have to make the 10-kilometer drive to the other clinic. This worked well for a while, but eventually those working at the clinic wanted some time off, so the clinic was left unattended. The people went to the church and complained about the poor service that the clinic was providing and said the church had to give them better care. The church put in extra staff to cover during the holidays. But several times the clinic ran out of drugs, and the people complained about the poor care the church was providing for them. The church ran low on money and had to stop some of their operations to conserve their money. They decided to stop staffing this clinic and providing drugs for it, and they shut it down. The people were very angry with the church. The people didn't know what to do. The two ideas that outsiders had done for them, the ambulance and the clinic, were no longer available and working. A respected man in the community with the green hands, (laughs) said, let's meet to talk about the real problem. They looked back at their original need, which was to somehow take care of those who fell off the path as they were traveling up and down the mountain from the village. The two solutions helped somewhat, but there were problems with each solution. As they talked, the respected man said, I had an idea when we first talked about the problem, but no one would listen to me. The outsiders were going to do everything for us for free, My idea would have taken some work and money on our part, so no one was interested in what I had to offer. He then told them his idea, which was to build a fence along the trail to keep people from falling over the edge. It would take work on the part of the people to cut the wood for the fence and to put it up. It would take a little money to put the fence posts in cement so they would last longer. The people responded with, that's a great idea, let's do it. So they raised the little money they needed and began to work. After several weeks, the work was done. Now, when someone slipped, the fence stopped them from falling over the edge to the valley below. After a few years, the wood began to rot, but instead of going to an outsider, they went and fixed the fence themselves. Now, instead of looking to the outside for help, they began to look to their community for solving the problem. This one project gave them confidence so that they could do things for themselves. Now when someone from the outside comes to give them something, they say, thank you, but if we think it is important, we will do it ourselves. So, thank you, Jerry. Good job. Okay. Have you seen this happen other places? Can you hear me without the microphone for a minute? Okay. Um, Okay, so now we're going to look at what mistakes the outsiders made, and Bailey is going to help us write our answers up on the board, and I'll repeat them for the um, recording. So, this is, y'all get to participate now and tell us what mistakes the outsiders made that eventually required them to back out of the project. Not listening to the people that live there. Not listening to the people that live there, good. Did you have? Thinking that they knew better, okay. Yeah. 
gentlemen. <laughs> uh, solutions that did not really get to the source of the problem and were expensive. Okay. Can you talk about not getting to the source of the problem a little bit more? Right. Right. So treatment instead of prevention. Yep. Solutions that didn't focus on the problem. Let's see how Bailey's doing. Oh, good job. She's keeping up with us. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So no community involvement or investment and not solutions that were not sustainable. Good. What else? teaching or training the people how to take care of the ambulance or equip the ambulance themselves, they just continue to send money to try and fix the problem. Okay, fixing the problem with money and not having a maintenance mindset and teaching maintenance. So no maintenance, <laughs> more money <laughs> until you run out. Yes? I think also there's a lack of understanding of how their culture would take being given something as opposed to having Yeah, so lack of cultural understanding on acceptance of ideas versus coming up with the ideas. Good. I would say the insiders also made a mistake okay. depending on the outsiders rather than trying to fix it themselves. Okay. <coughs> what else? This is a great list. Okay, which goes along with the not having investment, but ownership is a yeah great term. Good. So the second question, which we can write under the other cloud over there, <laughs> um, what could outsiders do to help the community to take control of their development and create their own solutions? It's kind of tied in with some, the answers on the first question, but. Have them invest in it. Okay, and how would we do that. With working, having them build it ourselves. Okay. Work them, raise our money. Okay. Facilitate a discussion to say, what do you want? Right. Facilitate a discussion. Okay. Yes. We might have a plan in advance. We're, we're here for this amount of time, and then we'll be phasing out, and we expect you to Or defining roles and expectations would be a good way to start out, okay? What else? But with a plan to get to have the net locals take over. Okay. Um, someone, we've had a couple people mention facilitating the discussion and not listening to the locals and thinking that we know better. So... Rather than coming with our own plan, what might be, even, what might gain even more community ownership? Well, I was saying you know, that they would discuss it. You know, this is what we think. What do you think? Okay, good. Yep. So have the discussion, and really have that discussion led by almost you know the problems and the solutions from the community, 
is going to help the community take ownership. Okay, what else could we do? Investment, facilitate discussion, defining roles. Yes. Okay, assess community resources and skills. Did you look ahead in my PowerPoint? <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> okay. Develop relationships, that's a great one. And defining roles and responsibilities kind of goes along with the knowing your stakeholders. Good. Good. Anything else? That was a great, great list and great discussion. Thank you, Bailey. And if you write on the board, you can write however you want, and it, it can be spelled however you want. <laughs> This is um, the same exercise we just did. The, a group in Ghana did it in one of their trainings. Um, so now we're going to move a little bit more even into health problems and um, the road to health in communities. So we are now the community on the mountain that has built the fence and figured that we can come up with our own solutions and we can do this. And so we noticed that there were health problems in our community, and we met to discuss them. And we used what is called the 10C technique, which is from Ravi Jayakaran. You can um, Google 10C technique, and there's a 20 to 30, or it might be in my resources at the end. There's a 20 to 30 page, um, really easy to read pamphlet on how to use it. You can use it to gather information, like disease prevalence. Um, you can use it for voting within the community, which is what we're using it for here. Um, it can be used for multiple different things, and it can be used in linguistic and non-oral and non-oral cultures. Um, but our community identified we, our health problems as diarrhea, and we wrote them out as pictures, or we brought something to represent them. But these are my drawings. Sorry for the poor artistic ability. Diarrhea, um, malaria, that's a mosquito. Pneumonia, guy coughing in a bed, and malnutrition is poor vegetables growing there. Um, so these are four health problems that we identified within our community. And we all had 10 seeds to vote for which problem we wanted to address first, that we thought was the most important to address first. So we can see we all voted, and diarrhea got the most seeds beside it. So collectively, we would like to address diarrhea first as the health issue in our community. So now I need another volunteer um, to scribe, and what we're going to write up is what resources do we have in our community to address the problem of diarrhea? Who would like to scribe? Jody, thanks. Okay, so what resources do we have to address the problem of diarrhea within our community? Yes? Well digging and filtration practices. Okay, so a water source perhaps in some way to make it clean. Okay, good. Okay, or maybe we have the ability to build latrines. We've built a fence, right? 
Okay? What else? Okay, so who can do that education? Who in our community? Okay, maybe a community health worker, a nurse? The church? Oh, teacher, okay, teachers. Yes. Okay, so, yeah, so we have education, which would be Clean water, nutrition, sanitation. Good. Okay. Who else could do education or could help make behavioral changes? Older women. Okay. Parents. Yeah. Parents are often an overlooked resource. A pastor. I saw a hand. Okay. Community leaders. Community leaders can help to generate support and motivate the whole community and to educate, right? Good. Okay. What other resources? What else can we do? Um, so we, we have identified that we need good nutrition and clean water to prevent and treat diarrhea. So how can we improve the cleanliness of our water? Filters. Okay. Chlorine. Yep, I could buy chlorine at the store down the street, right? What else? Boiling? Yeah, we have the wood to build the fence. We can probably have fire to boil water, right? What else? Hand washing. Okay. Okay, safe water storage. Good. Right. Yep. Which goes under, yeah, water source. Good. Good. Um, is there anything that could help us generate money, say that we do want to have a filtration system? How would we get money to build the filtration system within our community? I moved on to the tough question because you got all the easy ones. <laughs> okay, yeah, ask for support, do fundraising. Um, you know, the community members can each contribute a little bit. Um, fun, you can use proceeds from the local market maybe, right? The church can take donations. Good. Okay, so who here has treated diarrhea as a medical or non-medical person? What is the easiest and simplest thing we can use when someone has diarrhea? ORS, so oral rehydration solution. What's an oral rehydration solution? Salt and sugar, yep. So I think we all probably in our kitchens have salt and sugar and hopefully are going to have clean water, right? So we can, yeah, good. So we look at the prevention, but then also the treatment and, and decreasing the morbidity and mortality from it. So anything else? Instead of subsistence farming, they could all try to 
Okay, extra crops. Oh, and gain money from exporting? Okay, for better nutrition and money. Good job. Yes, excellent. And we'll get to that in a little bit with the whole Che model, but replication and multiplication. So, yeah. Okay. This is a great list. How did, how did it feel? Thank you, Jody. We'll let her <laughs> finish writing. Um, how did it feel to make this list? Empowering. Empowering. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And it's a lot Yes. Yeah. That is a good point. So the process takes time. And we often come with our own answers and just want everyone to be fast and quick about getting the answers. However, it really didn't take us a lot of time to come up with this list of local resources within a developing community or a majority world community, um, right? So um, to me, it stands out that there's a lot that we overlook that we don't even think about that's there. And a lot of this is simple stuff like chlorine, sugar, salt. So it's stuff that is already available. And so oftentimes we, as the outsiders, overlook the locally available resources and the community themselves has a hard time coming up with it. Um, but this is a process that can help facilitate that thought process and, and development. Good. Yes. I would think if I was in a third world country where I had a big problem in my village with uh, diarrhea and I saw that and I saw a plan and moving forward, I would be very hopeful. My word, we suffered for years and now somebody's presenting a way for we can move forward and help. Or, uh, or helping us to come up with it, right? Yeah. Because these ideas came from our community. This so. is awesome. You know, I yeah. would be so excited. Okay. Good. Yeah, so you have motivation and excitement. Okay. Oh, here's our what, what are some resources our community has. Um, which leads us into ABCDs. Has anyone heard? Who, who knows their ABCDs? <laughs> okay, so ABCD stands for asset, it's an acronym in this circumstance for asset-based community development. It's not CPR. <laughs> um, so what we just did was asset was an example of how we can do asset-based community development. And if you just take each word separately, but we'll do asset-based, what does that mean to you? What the community using what the community already has. Yep. What else? It's it's starting from a from strengths and what you have and not what you're lacking, right? And then community, it's community-based, which means the community is at the center of the whole process and has the ownership of the process. So we are somewhat making it artificial here because we're sitting here in America going over this exercise, but it really is facilitating the community to identify both their needs but then really their resources and their assets 
um, to address those needs. And then development is helping people improve their lives. So how many have done a needs assessment? Okay. How many have done an assets assessment? Okay, good. Um, we really suggest that any time you think of doing a needs assessment, you also, or instead of, do an assets assessment or a strengths assessment um, of the assets and resources. And that helps you to do this asset-based community development because what happens when we focus on needs? How do we feel? If I come and say, okay, we're going to make a list of all the problems in our community, how do we feel after we made that list? Depressed, Depressed overwhelmed, <laughs> yep. maybe disempowered. We feel all we see is the lack and the negative. Um, and does it help us? Do we feel like we can do anything about it? Helpless. Probably not. We kind of feel helpless, maybe dependent. And what happens when we focus on assets, as we just did? We felt empowered. We felt confident. We had motivation that we could address problems, right? Hopeful. <laughs> Hopeful. Yeah. So focusing on needs also decreases hope and decreases dignity. And part of the whole process is realizing that we are all created in the image of God and have dignity, and need, focusing on needs can undermine dignity, but focusing on assets can really bring out that dignity of, wow, look at all these resources that we do have and all of the knowledge and skills and things that we can use. Another thing about assets is that it's not just material things or money, which we, we were really good. It took us a little while, but we got to, down to the people. So we have to think of people, organizations, institutions, locations that we can have community meetings. Like anything can be an asset, right? It's not just thinking of, oh, we need money or we need clean, we need wells. It's thinking of the whole process. So this was added. You all get the benefit of how I did this yesterday and someone suggested that I add this slide in. So <laughs> um, when we focus on needs, the, the people don't have control. They are consumers. They're waiting for someone else to meet their needs. It then becomes the outsider's ownership of the needs and the solution, right? So in the mountain story, they said, um, well, the ambulance is the outsider team's ambulance. They need to fix it, right? But the fence was the community's fence, and they had ownership of it, and they fixed it. So when we focus on needs, people are consumers. Um, it implies that there's nothing locally available that can help, right? It creates paternalism, dependency, devalues people and life, and undermines dignity. But when we focus on assets, the people are the answer and have the answer and decide what works for them. Neighbors make connections and contributions. So, again, when we were going through this list, you know, if we were in a community, maybe the teachers would say, oh, well, we can start doing lessons on using clean water and preventing diarrhea. Um, so they start making those connections within themselves and thinking what individually and collectively they can contribute. It focuses on the skills and the solutions that are already present, which many of you have mentioned, and it creates a sense of ownership, empowerment, confidence. And then um, if we just focus on the needs, is that going to lead us to long-term solutions? Or if we just come in with the ambulance, focus on the curative instead of the preventive with the ambulance and the clinics, it doesn't really lead to much long-term solutions or as long-term. So focusing on assets helps to make it sustainable. And usually it's lower cost, 
because it's what's locally available and what's appropriate to use in that situation. So all of these activities that we've been doing so far, the mountain story, the scribing, um, the 10 seed technique for the voting and identifying things are what's known as participatory learning and action. And participatory learning and action involves communities in assessing their own needs, choosing their own priorities, and developing their own solutions. So it helps them to raise awareness even of the needs and the root causes and opportunities and resources that they have. So underlying problems, inspires hope and a vision for change, prepares a community for action, um, and can be used to gather information and monitor progress. But it really, the main word in this, I think, is participatory, right? So you all have now experienced participatory learning in action. You've probably had it in other, other times before, but that's what part of our goal today was to see how this actually plays out. And community health evangelism now is a strategy that uses asset-based community development and participatory learning and action to cause physical and spiritual transformation. It's working around the world. Um, if you would like a copy of this PowerPoint presentation, I have some cards on the table on the little shelf by the door. Um, please email me and I'll email it to you. Um, this Stories of Transformation is about a 30-minute video that shows five to ten communities all around the world that where CHE has been implemented and has been successful and is growing. It's a very inspiring video and lets you kind of see it in action. Um, and then the CHE network, so community health evangelism is a network of organizations and individuals that are using this strategy, um, and their website is chainetwork.org. And their vision is that every community and every country is reached with the holistic gospel of the kingdom. So anytime I'm looking at an organization or a strategy, I look, like to look at the principles and values behind it. So the core values of CHE, and I want you to think as I read through this list what stands out to you um, and comment back on it. So the core values are integration and holism, commitment to the poor and marginalized, long-term solutions, local ownership and initiative, participatory learning, multiplication and movement, Christian servant leadership, and contextualization. So what stands out to you from that list? Long-term solutions, right? Okay, what else? How do, how do our ABCDs and our PLA help us with these values, to live out these values? Yeah, it's really a strategy and techniques for helping with the ownership and the initiative, yeah? Okay. What else stands out to you, or what do you think of when you see this list? It's how Jesus did it. Okay, can you expand more on that? Right. Did y'all hear that? Okay. <laughs> Good. What else? Um, 
um, along with the core values, then there are principles um, that it, that Che, using Che is collaborative, it's impact-focused, so it is looking at, you know, what is the long-term outcome of this. It's enabling, it's mutually transforming, because when you're facilitating something like this, you're learning as much from about the local resources as the local people are learning about their own resources, and then synergistic. Um, so, again, how does ABCD, PLA fit into this, or what stands out to you about the principles? Enabling, okay. It allows them to. It allows them to take the ownership, but it also gives them dignity that they can do this on their own. Yeah. And it's kind of discipleship on a medical level, but it's it kind of transfers all of that. Yeah. So it by taking ownership, it reinforces dignity and disciples. Yeah. Good. One example of the servant leadership is that the trainers within Che come in as servants to the community. We don't come in with the answers. Our role is to ask the questions. What would you like to do? What resources do you have? What are your ideas? So we're trying to enable them rather than to impose a solution on them. Yeah, great. Yes. Yeah, we approach, which is similar to what Jody just said, you approach with a humble attitude as a learner and realizing that we can learn from each other. Yeah, very good. It gives everybody a voice. It gives everybody a voice. Did y'all feel like you had a voice this morning? <laughs> Hopefully, good. Okay. Okay, so, again, um, learning Che is more than an hour-long process, but to kind of try to simplify it, this would be how Che would work in a community. So you do have a training team that's a, like a, or a facilitation team that usually does come in from the outside, hopefully from that same country or that same region, because then you have more understanding, deeper understanding of cultural issues and what's appropriate in that. Um, but, you know, as Jody was saying, the trainers come in with a humble attitude as learners and to facilitate the community. They approach the community and the community leaders and start casting vision um, and assessing the community. And then the community decides, yeah, we would like to do this CHE strategy, this CHE program in our community. Um, the community then selects a committee the committee is kind of oversees the different projects and programs that are running within their CHE community. Um, and the committee selects CHEs. So CHEs are community health evangelists who usually are volunteers who um, learn lessons and take those lessons to five to ten of their neighbors. Um, so what do you notice if you look at the circle um, and the way this diagram is, where is everything coming from except the training team? Everything's within the community, right? 
the community decides they want to do it, the community selects the committee, the committee is community members, and the committee selects the CHAs, which are also community members. So it's all within the community, and it's all encompassed by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right, and prayer. So one thing the group yesterday said um, in What Can We Do Better was start with prayer and basically have the whole the whole process is infused with prayer. So this is a basic example. It's what we would call a community-based approach to CHE. There are multiple different models of CHE. Here are just, this is the community-based approach that we just went through where the training team comes in and mobilizes the community, and you eventually, you get the CHEs who are learning physical and spiritual lessons. Some lessons are more physical, some lessons are more spiritual, and some are combinations, like... Um, we have just learned that we need clean water to keep our bodies healthy. Um, I know there's a man in the Bible who says that he is the living water. Um, so combining the two to f- into physical and spiritual concepts um, to improve physical health, but then also hopefully lead to stronger spiritual health and possibly churches. Um, there are multiple models. There's an urban shay, and there are multiple specialties within CHE, so as I said, Jody does children's CHE, there's a women's cycle of life CHE, but this one, the government and clinic model, adds a couple more steps, but this would be like if you're working in a mission hospital, you could put mission hospital instead of government in that box, um, so that the training team is training people within the public health department or the mission hospital who are then kind of sending out people into the community to go through the process of the forming the committee and the chase. Um, so it's a way that government and um, hospitals can fit into it. We actually, in Christian Health Service Corps, have a couple who's working in Cote d'Ivoire, and they have been asked by the government public health department to implement CHE, to teach CHE to all of the public health students. So every August, they do a training of CHE to the public health students within the government, which is really, and they combine the spiritual and the physical lessons, which is a really awesome um, witness. So we don't want to go too much into this. We're available for questions afterwards um, if you have them, but just kind of an overview of how uh, CHE works. And um, then I have, as I said, if you would like a copy of this PowerPoint, email me and I'll email it to you. These are our suggested resources. And I'm just going to open it up now to your questions, and hopefully we have answers or the group has answers. And um, Jody will come up and answer in the microphone if... (laughs) I know, me too. Okay, what questions do you have? We work in all sorts of different circumstances. I think one of the things that Laura pointed out was that CHE has certain principles that are common to all the CHE ministries around the world. Things like community ownership and multiplication and participatory learning. You're going to see in every one. But the form of the ministry will change from here to there to otherwheres. For example... If we're working in a closed country, we can't knock on somebody's door and say, I'd like to share with you the four spiritual laws, 
right? So in that circumstance, we're going to work primarily by building up relationships with people. Um, Sometimes we come in by teaching farming, teaching health promotion, working with children. And through the relationships, we find out who are the people that are open, who are the people who would like to learn more. And as the Lord opens up the doors, then we can share more with them. One of the things we do in a closed area, we'll never go in as a gringo, as an outsider, into a closed community. Sometimes we'll bring somebody from their community out to give them the training, and then they can go back and more subtly reach out to their neighbors. I would also add... um Working with the community, it kind of—it was an artificial example. It kind of looks democratic, but it really is a way that everyone can be involved. They don't have to raise their hand or voice anything. They can just place their seats down, so you don't have to read. Um, and it's the community coming together and saying it's a very visual representation. So it engages both sides of your brain to say, "Oh, wow! Look at—we all—the majority of us want this, so let's go with this." So it actually really is more of a community model than. Okay, some areas are open to the gospel. We can freely share Christ. There's no persecution. A closed area would be an area where you cannot openly proclaim Christ or share share with your neighbors. Communist, Muslim, Buddhist. We're seeing the Lord work tremendously among Muslim communities through dreams and visions. One thing is we talked about participatory learning. Because of the numbers here, we can't do it in our standard approach. We never are standing up here at a a podium with a microphone. We're always sitting in a circle so that everybody can chip in. And the role of, of trainers is to ask questions, but the answers come from where? From you. So we're trying to pull out the ideas from the groups. I live in southern Mexico, in Siwatanejo. If you've seen Shawshank Redemption, you know where that is. And we're doing Che up in the mountain communities with the kids. But I've been to lots of countries out around the world. We're working in about 100 and not when I say we, I'm sorry, can't take credit. We're a network. We're working with organizations and groups and churches who are working in about 134 countries. We're, we're not there to do it. We're just there to serve them. Yeah, I think my I'm sorry probably I came later and missed the, the introduction part of this uh, session. Uh, but what's, what's your entry point as a global share network? Uh, how do you go into the community? Are you invited by the locals, or do you, uh, 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 how do you identify the community you want to work with? That's an excellent question. Usually, if we're working in a new region or a country where CHE hasn't been used before, we'll hold what's called a vision seminar with some of the church leaders and leaders from the community and discuss the approach with them, talk with them about the model. And if they're interested in going further, 
will ask them to nominate people to become trainers in this. And so the trainers have initially about a week-long training, and it's an ongoing progressive training. And then there's a process of up to six to nine months to identify which community to work in. And do you know what entering the community is? Forming relationships. So we're not the strangers. We're working amongst them. So we'll do activities like these PLA activities. We'll do school screenings. We'll get to know people. Eventually we might do surveys. And then it comes to a point where we hold a series of village meetings for two purposes. We want to get to know them better, and they want to get to know us. And they come to a decision, and we come to a decision at the end of that process, is this where we want to work? We're working, we're looking for areas that have needs, they have physical needs, they're open to the gospel, but also communities that say, yes, we want to work, we want to change, we want to improve what we're doing. And if there is a mutual agreement, then they're the ones who choose the leaders, the, the committee. Now, here's, here's a trick question for you. Who are, the, who, are the, who are the people in charge here? Are, is it the outsiders, the trainers coming into the community from outside? Or is it people from within the community? Within. within. It has to be. So as trainers, our job is to serve that committee, to serve that community in the way that they want. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yes. I was just wondering, I was kind of wondering about that last part, the hospital part. I couldn't hear that clearly from you, how that, kind of looking at how that actually, how you delivered intentional against that final end, which is the gospel commission, how you actually transition what's your strategy in that? It's, it's done in several different ways. It's primarily through relationships with our CHE can mean community health evangelist, it can mean community health educator, it can have a whole number of things. When, we're, when the trainers are working with them, they're giving them both physical training on things like health topics and basic Bible training. So many of them may start out not to be Christians, not have any interest in Christianity, but through the process of their training, one of two things happens. Most of them come to know Christ. What happens to those who don't become Christians? They drop out. They say, if part of our job is to share Christ with our neighbors, and we're not Christians, we're not suited for this, right? Then as they're visiting homes, the basic part of this ministry is visiting homes in the community. They notice what the needs are. Is this a family that's struggling with divorce or with alcoholism? Or is there diarrhea and dehydration or whatever? And in the process of talking about physical needs that they usually have the opportunity to build the relationship to share Christ. 
So it's a gradual process over a period of weeks or months or even years. Of, um, but we've seen it in Siwatanejo, where I live. We've used it to plant. And we're not a church planting ministry, but the Lord has planted several churches as a result of this. Yeah, one of the things that is working very in effectively in closed community, have you heard of the uh, disciple-making movement or discovery Bible studies? In a closed area, many times, once we find those people who are interested, we'll bring them together and just have open discussions. We'll read a Bible passage and talk about a little bit about what happened last week, what's happening in the community, what's happening with their neighbors. But then we'll read the Bible study passage and we ask, what does it say? What did you see there? What was the story? What do you understand about that story? And how does it apply to our lives? What does it teach you about God? What does it teach you about Christ? And that can be just a real open discussion, sometimes Christians, sometimes not Christians, but it tends to multiply. And you don't need a pastor or a theologian to to lead it. So that's been, and we're also seeing these dreams and visions and the Lord working just tremendously. So sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes it can take years just to build relationships to the point where you can share a little bit. And sometimes it's more wide open. And I'll also mention that Jay has changed some of the spiritual lessons into moral value lessons that are based on the Old Testament and that can be accepted in what we consider the closed countries and then lead to the disciple-making movement discussions. We're often invited to do Che in schools. And they want our health teaching with the children but we can also teach those moral value lessons and teach about honesty using a story from the Bible. Yes? I, something interesting I just wanted to... So in closed communities, it's not necessarily that you can't teach lessons from the Bible. It's that you can't teach lessons from the Gospel about Jesus. Is that correct? Um, you can... Yeah, so you, often you can't outwardly identify. But say, say you're working with a Muslim community. You start with Abraham. You start with the things you have in common. You start with the base that you have in common and go on from that there as you have opportunities. But a lot of it, to be honest, isn't what you say. What's happening is you start working with families and they say, what's different about their family? Why aren't their kids getting sick like our kids are? Why do they seem to be healthier? How has come their agriculture is more effective than what we're doing? And so a lot of it is just people watching what's happening and wanting to take part in it from there. Which is what our gentleman up here mentioned, right? That you want other communities to see it and to do it. Um, we probably have time for one more question, and then I'm going to have Jody close us in prayer. But thank you for coming at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning and for participating and being wide awake. Awesome job, and um, remember to stop by our booth, 2901 
Christian Health Service Corps. That's my organization that we teach. We have some CHE trainings. And then directly below us, 1901, is the CHE booth. I don't know where I'm <laughs> And if you want, have any further questions and you want to talk with us individually, yeah. we'll be around. We'll be around. So, any last questions for the group? Or if you want a business card or something. <laughs> What are some challenges in building relationships? With Che, we have successes and we have not-so-successes. Um, I was in a community and had some real excited neighbors all wanting to do that. We found out that instead of building relationships and friendships, they were building walls and blocking roads and putting up barriers to relationships. And we had to say eventually with that community, it's not the right timing. You're not ready for this yet. Our biggest challenge with the traditional models of CHE is forming that strong committee of leaders. And that takes a lot of work. And so much of what we'll do, both with our CHEs, with our committee members, a lot of our works of trainers is not just the group training sessions is to go visit them in their own homes and to be working with them and discipling them. So we need to put in a lot of time outside of the formal training that's given. Thank you all. Great to see you. Okay. Father, we thank you for this tool of community health evangelism. But we realize that it's only a tool. It's only a strategy. What we're doing here, what we're trying to do, Lord, is take the principles, the teaching, what you've shown us in the Bible, and apply it in the areas where we're working. So guide each of us, Father, how we can serve you better in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities, uh, show us how to use these tools that you have given us in order to give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.